Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here. And I have to confess something to you. I think Christmas was better when I was a kid. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's the word or the wrong word. Sorry. I don't know if better is the, the right word, but it just seems different now that I'm an adult. Even though I have my own children, it doesn't seem to have, and you know, forgive me for using this word in church, right? Don't throw rocks at me, but it doesn't seem to have the magic that it used to do when I was a kid. Like all kinds of just real crazy mysteriousness. I remember going to, to bed on Christmas Eve with a couple presents under the tree and then waking up Christmas morning and there was a lot of presents under the tree. Anybody else grow up like that? Like, and I became conditioned to know that every year as I aged and got a little older, I was going to bed with more anticipation that there's going to be even more presents under the tree in the morning. It got to the place when I was actually knocking on my parents' door at like 3.30 in the morning saying, can we get up now? It's, it's Christmas Day. Can we get up now? Um, not realizing that my parents had just gone to bed at like 2.30 in the morning. And Christmas started early for me. We'd get up. I mean, before the sun was up, we would open presents, eat breakfast, um, Sometimes we would even host an event at our house. And then I come from a family. My parents both come from large families. And so we'd go to Christmas at grandma's house or Christmas at my aunt's house. I had tons of cousins. And I remember playing all day. I remember coming home one Christmas day, having you know, been up the entire day, thinking two days had passed. Christmas was a big, big deal when I was a kid. And now, if I could be very honest, it's just more stress sometimes. It's just more work sometimes. A couple of years ago, my wife and I decided to travel to Florida with our kids for Christmas, and we didn't decorate one thing in the house, and it was glorious. I'm just saying, like our Christmas present was get on an airplane and go to Orlando. That was great. And what I've learned is not just Christmas that feels different now that I'm adult, but I think all of life feels a little different too. Like all of the things that didn't seem to bother you at all when you were a child now in, as adulthood becomes um, difficult. Sometimes it feels, to be honest with you, that as if life itself begins to just lay stress and heaviness and tension. Pastor Joe and I were talking about this this last week. It feels as if life itself begins to besiege itself upon you. From every front, it feels like from the north, you've got all the responsibilities of raising a family. Maybe to the south, it's job responsibilities or maybe student responsibility. You got papers, you got finals, you got all kinds of stuff. To the west, you have this, this constant volley of arrows of shattered hopes and dreams just lobbying into your life. None of these are mortal in and of themselves, but they are constant reminders that you've never shaped up to be the person that you hoped to be. That the dreams that you hope to aspire to and, and reach are still unreachable to you. And you're constantly reminded of those things. And then even to the east, when you think just 
off in the horizon as the sun begins to rise. Maybe there's hope there, but that's not the sun rising to the east. That's a missed call from the doctor's office reminding you that your test results are in and they'd like to speak to you. Like there's just stuff happening. And it's not just in our personal lives. If you were to look at the world around us, it sometimes feels like, like even our own culture, our own world seems to be under attack some days, yes? Like the very things that we hold dear and near to us, it seems to be from every corner and behind every door, there seems to be an assault against us. When I read the Bible, I find myself encouraged. I mean, I'm just that guy. My wife makes fun of me. She thinks I live in what she calls fantasy land. <laughs> but I'm a glass half full type of individual. Anyone else? I mean, I see the best in all things. And I'm telling you, when I read the Bible and the stories in the Bible, there are men and women who have felt very similarly in their lives. That there have been uh, metaphorically and even literally assaults against their very lives or their way of living. And it, it feels tense and it feels uh, desperate. And many of these men and women, they have chosen to lean upon the strength and the love of God and, and when you read their stories, you see them make their way through it. And it might not work out exactly as you thought it would or should or could, but I, I assure you it worked out exactly how God intended it to work out. And then there are other men and women in the Bible when, when, when the, the life seems to lay siege against them, they choose not to rely or lean upon the strength of God or the love of God and choose to go their own way. And when you look at their lives, you see a case study of what not to do when things go difficult in your life. I want to tell you guys a story today from the Bible of a man who, who chose wrongly. When, when life came hard against him, he chose not to follow God, not to lean upon God, but to go his own path. And his name was Ahaz. And Ahaz was not just a man. He was, in fact, a king. He was a king of a nation called Judah. And you can read this story in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 7, if you have a Bible with you. Isaiah chapter 7, it's somewhere in the middle of your Bible. If you want to use the hardback black Bible underneath the seat around you, you can turn to page 571. And as you're turning there, I have to admit this to you, that there have been many times I've been, I've been thinking about the life that I live now, and I begin, to be very honest, I think I'm becoming an old guy. I mean, I know I'm getting old, right? I understand that, but I'm starting to sound like one of them old people, you know, who say things like, uh, um, well, back in my day, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I say that to my kids. It's embarrassing for both of us, and I, I say that it, it didn't used to be like that when I was younger. It, it, this world is radically different, and I, I catch myself saying things like, what's this world coming to, which is the title of our Christmas series. It's my hope and prayer that for the next four weeks that you would come and hear everything that we've laid out for you to take that idea, what's this world coming to, and use it to push us, propel us towards the birth of Christ that we'll celebrate on December 25th. It's a very important holiday for us. Would you agree? But I think God would have something to say for us out of Isaiah chapter 7. So um, that being said, would you bow your heads and let's pray together real quick. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the stories of men and women who have lives, even though they were in antiquity, appear very similar to ours in scope and feel. They too were struggling with many things and, and they too felt comfort and solace in your words and your works in their lives. 
God, may we look to Ahaz and use it as an example, truly, uh, God, of what not to do in our life. May you use his life to give us wisdom. May you use his life to show us a clearer path for us. Holy Spirit, come and be with your people tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 7, it says, In the days of Ahaz, the king of Judah. A little backstory about Ahaz. Ahaz was just 20 years old when he became the king of a nation called Judah. I mean, think about that. I don't, I don't know what I was doing at 20 years old, but I assure you I did not have the wisdom to lead an entire nation. To be honest, he's not even old enough to drink in the state of Illinois. I'm just throwing it out there. And he's the king of a nation. And it wasn't long after he became king at 20 years old that things really began to become uh, difficult for him. Just to the north of Judah, two nations formed an alliance and began to lay siege on his capital city, Jerusalem. And while this was taking place, other nations to the south and to the west began to raid his villages, knowing full well that the king had no troops to send south. His nation was being decimated. There was a an assault against his nation and his throne. He was going to lose his life. There's no question about it. In the Old Testament, we read this story of this assault on Jerusalem, and we learn that Ahaz lost 120,000 troops in a single day. In a single day, as they're laying uh, defenses against these two nations coming against them, 120,000 soldiers lost their lives, as did most of the dignitaries and the cabinet of his government. It was this day also that Ahaz lost his son. His son was killed in this battle. And the, the, the news and the, the stories of what was taking place, not just at Jerusalem, but in the other parts of his country, began to hit his ears, and it shook him. In fact, Isaiah tells us that it shook him in such a profound way. Read here in verse 2. And that it says, when Ahaz heard of this, that the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook. And it shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. You know this. There's a, there's a, a genuine physical response that, that, that the bodies sometimes move in when, when fear strikes. I'm telling you right now that, that Ahaz and his people are not afraid. They are terrified. Terrified. Have you ever been so scared that your, your knees shake? Have you ever been so scared that you can feel like your strength leave your body, that you, you physically can't take another breath? Have you ever been so terrified that your, your body is responding in some crazy way? That's the story of Ahaz, a young 20-year-old king, knowing that the days of his life are numbered. He shakes like the trees in the forest when wind comes. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how deep your roots go and how wide they appear to you. When a greater force comes against you, you too will shake. You will shake. Fear, this terror, it defines our boundaries. It, it cripples us. It tells us where we can go and where we cannot go. For, for example, if you're scared of heights, you'll stay low. Not long ago, I was, well, it was a long time ago. It doesn't matter about that, but um, I remember roofing a house is when I used to do my own home improvement, right? <laughs> I was roofing a house and I called a friend and I said, hey, would you help me roof my house? And, and he actually came, which is a real friend, if you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> right? He actually came. And what I learned as we were roofing the house is that he only stayed like in the middle part of the roof. 
He never got to the top. He never got over towards the sides. He stayed towards the middle. And I said, I'm like, what's happening? Why aren't you out here? And he shared with me, he goes, whenever I get close to the edge and look down and see the ground, he goes, I feel my knees go weak a little bit. I'm afraid, Jeff, that I actually fall uh, off the roof. Fear defines our boundaries for us. It cripples us. I had a moment like this not long ago. I went to Northwestern Hospital in Chicago to visit a friend. If you know where the hospital is, it's on uh, sort of Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful setting. And they go visit my friend, and they're on the top floor. And you get off the elevator, and you see this huge picture window overlooking the lake. I'm like, this is amazing. I start walking towards it. And right when I get to the window, I see, whoo, 20-story drop-off. And my knees went weak. It happens to us. If you're afraid of the dark, you stay in the light. It defines where we go. Listen, if you're afraid of spiders, you will never travel to Australia, yes? Because they got them some spiders out there, and they will kill you. It's a real thing. But, but mankind has the proclivity to do one of two things when fear or terror strikes us. The first is this, is that we will run. We have the proclivity to run away from from whatever is assaulting us, whether it be a physical thing or whether it be just a stressful emotional thing. We have this, this sort of desire to run away from it. And we'll run away like to vices like alcohol and carbs, right? It's a thing, man. And rather than, than lean into this thing that whatever's happening and trusting God in it, which we'll get to in a minute, we run away from it. And, and we know that we run away from it. Or the other thing that we sometimes do when, when life besieges us is we just tackle it. We just dive in head first and we say, we're going to manage this thing. And we say things like this. It doesn't matter how many hours I have to spend at the office. It doesn't matter what it costs my family. I'll fix this thing. Like, I made it this far by myself. I'll continue to make it further by myself. I don't need anyone else's help. I can fix this. And you, you'll do it at the, the risk and own detriment of your emotional, spiritual, mental health. Anyone? And God knows this. He created us. He's the creator of everything. He knows our proclivity to either run from things or try to tackle them on our own. And he sees what's happening to his young king, Ahaz. What's so crazy is the kingdom of Judah, if you didn't know this, it is actually a kingdom of God's own people. At one point, the entire nation of, the, of Israel, God's own people, lived in the promised land. And over time, the nation split into two pieces, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. One of the nations that is warring against Judah from the north is his own people. It's his own brothers, it's his own cousins, it's family. Do you ever feel assaulted by your own family someday? Merry Christmas. That's a thing for some of us. And when God looks into the life of Ahaz, he doesn't want him to run, and he doesn't want him to fix the situation on his own. And so he sends a man, a prophet, named Isaiah to speak to him. Isaiah goes as the mouthpiece of God. Isaiah lives in Judah. He understands exactly what's happening. God speaks to him and says, go tell the king something for me. And in verse four, this is what we hear God speak to the king. He says, be careful and be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. What? He's saying these two nations from the north, they, they may appear like a roaring fire to you, but they are, they are smoldering stumps in the eyes of God. He goes on to say, God, he, in the next few verses, that, that these two nations, they are led but by men. Is not God greater than men? 
he comes to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah and he says, don't run, brother. Don't run. Don't fix this on your own. This looks insurmountable. This looks like something you can't, you can't overcome. I'm telling you, I've got this. These, these things are not that big of a deal. And in fact, in verse 7, he goes on to say, Thus says the Lord God, this thing that they're trying to do by, by usurping you from the throne, by dethroning you, will not come to pass. It says, it will not stand and it shall not come to pass. These things that you think will overtake you will not overtake you. How many of us would, would agree that if we heard that from God himself, that we would be encouraged? Yes? Dude, I don't know what's happening in your life, but if you heard God speak to you through someone directly and says, listen, whatever issue is happening in your life is not going to harm you. That would be so helpful if we believed it. <laughs> Wouldn't it? If we believed it. But, but Ahaz struggles with this. And in fact, God goes to him one step further through the prophet and says this, Ahaz, verse nine, second half of verse nine, he says, listen, if you are not firm in your faith in this moment, you will not be firm at all. He says, if you are not firm in this incident, incident where, where God is actually speaking to you and telling you it's going to be fine, if you don't have the faith to believe that at all, then you will not be firm ever in your life. I love when he speaks to Ahaz and he tells him to do not fear. Did you know that do not fear is a constant refrain to God's people from God all through scripture? That he is constantly telling his people, do not be afraid. And did you know when we choose fear in response to life's situations, we're actually saying something to God. We're, we're saying this, when we choose fear, it is an affront to God's rule in the world. What I mean by that is this, is when we choose fear, what we're telling God is we actually don't think you're strong enough to fix this situation of my life. See, the Bible tells us this theological concept that God is sovereign. He rules and reigns over all, and he's in charge of everything. But when we choose fear in a situation, we're actually saying, but I don't trust you in this. Yeah, yeah, you might hold the stars in the sky and make the water stop where the water start and the mountains grow, the mountains grow. But this situation in my life, you're not strong enough to fix. See, when we choose to fix it ourselves or choose to run away from it, we're saying we don't trust God to rule over it. And the second thing is when we choose fear is what we're saying is that this is an affront against God's love for us. What we're saying to him when, he, when we run away or when we try to fix it on our own is we're saying, I don't believe you love me. I don't believe you're actually paying attention to my life. I don't believe you're actually looking at my situation because you would fix it by now. Isaiah comes to him and says, these things will not stand against you and have faith in these words because if you don't have faith in this, then you won't have faith at all. That you'll, you'll be firm in nothing from this point forward. And then God does this almost unbelievable thing. It's magnificent in verse 10. He comes before Ahaz and he says this. Of everything that I've told you, if you don't believe me, verse 10 he says, Ask a sign of the Lord. Ask God for a sign. Uh, this is that moment that all of us have had, right? Way back in the day, possibly, when you were just questioning whether or not God was real, and you're sitting in your college dorm after your girlfriend just broke up with you, and you don't have any money for groceries or cigarettes, and you can't get your laundry clean, and maybe that's just my story. I don't know, but... but <laughs> But you're like really bummed out is all I'm saying. 
and you say something like this, God, if you're real, turn the lights off right now. <laughs> did anybody ever do that? You know we did. I remember driving in my car one time, like really wanting God to be real in my life. I said, God, if, you're, if you exist, if you are paying attention to my life, then turn the radio on. Turn, I won't touch it, God, just turn the radio on. And if you're real, real, don't make it country. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Don't shake your head at me. It's a thing. If you really love me, do it. He says, ask him. He says, God has sent me from the country. I've come to you standing in your courts. And God says, it's not going to work out the way you think it is. Trust him in it. And if you don't believe him, ask him for a sign. Dude, I would have killed for this. I would have loved to have had this in my 20s. It would have changed my life. And many in the room would agree with that. But what does Ahaz do? He says in verse 12, I will not ask. So I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ooh, that sounds so holy, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm not going to test the Lord. I think we even read in scripture somewhere that we should not put our Lord God to the test. Can I tell you something? If God asks you to put him to the test, you have permission to put him to the test. There are many instances in scripture where God has actually given people permission to test God on some things. Ahaz, even though it sounds holy, what he's saying to God is, thanks, but no thanks. Spoiler alert, he's probably already formulating his plan, which we'll get to in a little bit. This is God coming to him and saying, listen, I'll give you a sign. I'll show you. I can help you. But, he, but Ahaz says no to him. I wonder how often you and I do that to God as well. How often do, do we push God, do we strong arm God in the work of his spirit in our lives because we think we've got this. So a couple of weeks ago, to not be specific, I was having a really tough day, right? You're like, wah, wah. so what, Jeff? Everybody has bad days, right? But I was just having a really tough day. I'm sitting in my office and I'm just despondent and I'm sorrowful and I'm sad and I'm like, God, why? Why is this happening? And my phone rings and I look and it's a friend of mine. I haven't talked to him in a while. You know those friends that you don't need to talk to all the time, but as soon as you talk to them, you reconnect like it was yesterday. You know what I'm talking about? He, he calls me and I'm like, I don't have time for that. I'm just freaking out, man. This stuff's got to get figured out. And I put my phone down. Um, with my hand on the Bible, I swear to you, this morning in my prayer time, and as I was going through my notes on this message, God reminded me <laughs> that, I, that I pushed him aside because that phone call was actually um, put together by God himself, that God actually laid it upon my friend to call me. See, this is that moment where God actually leans into our life and wants to help, and you and I go, meh, I got this, or eh, I'm too busy, or eh, whatever, and that happened to me. That God oftentimes does that. He'll have a word for you from a friend. You'll, an incidental friend that you run into at Target or Starbucks. You know what I'm talking about, right? Ahaz is having this moment and, and God, at some point in Ahaz's refusal to ask for a sign, God, God, I don't know if he gets frustrated in it, but he finally says, fine, fine. You're not gonna ask for a sign, verse 14. God says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You're not going to ask for it, so what? I'm going to give you one. And look what it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What? Now we've all heard that verse and we always hear that verse around Christmas time, but did you know the story of the verse? 
It's in the middle of a guy who's struggling in life, that life is literally besieging him. God has come to comfort him and says, don't run, don't fix, let me do this on your behalf. Let me intervene for you. And he goes, no, I'll do it on my own. And finally says, God, fine, I'll give you a sign anyways. Behold, a virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel. And we fast forward into the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. I want you to read what we learn about this word, Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. There it is. Again, the constant encouraging word from God. Do not be afraid. If we could jump into Joseph's story, but for a minute, this is where his life begins to assault him from every side as well. Having planned this wedding for who knows how long, finally has a wife, a fiance that he's soon to marry. I mean, in Jewish culture, they're kind of already married. They're just waiting to consummate the marriage. Wink, wink, if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And everyone knows, right? This is not, you know, you don't have to be a scientist to know this, but everyone knows virgins don't get pregnant, right? Something's happening here. Everything is collapsing upon Joseph. Everything he's labored towards as he's built his home, ready to start his own family. Everything that he's been working towards is crumbling underneath him. And God sends an angel to him and says, don't be afraid in this. He says, that which is inside your wife is from the Holy Spirit. Did you know people didn't believe that Mary was a virgin? Did you know people mocked Jesus' own family all the years of his life? They called her loose. They called her a trollop. They thought she was lying to everyone. She said she was a virgin. Joseph knows this. He knows that, that everyone is going to mock him. Everyone is going to cast stones at them. Everyone is going to, to make fun of them, if you will. And God intervenes and says, don't be afraid, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She is going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew adds this parenthetical sentence here, which means God with us. In the middle of Ahaz's turmoil, in the middle of Ahaz's affliction, God says, I will give you a promise. I will give you a promise. Here is a sign coming to you. And ladies and gentlemen, the promise is himself. The solution for fear in our lives is him. The solution for all other hurdles in our life, all other aspects of difficulty in our lives is God himself, Emmanuel. God come to be with us. That's the answer. That's the sign. That's the promise. That's why we rejoice at this time every year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus has come to enter into the, dif the difficulties of our life, yes? We go back to the story of Ahaz. Um, 
I mentioned earlier that Ahaz did not choose wisely. He strong arms God and says, no, thank you, I'll do it on my own. He actually forms an alliance with another nation not far from them. Eh, I won't tell you the name, doesn't matter. They come to his aid and they actually defeat those two armies to the north. They actually push them outside of Jerusalem, push them away. It looks as if victory has come. But then this helpful nation that came to their aid begins to oppress Judah. Soon begins to strip all of the treasures out of the nation. In fact, Ahaz, the king, eventually begins to strip all of the treasures out of the temple of God where they worship the one true God. Ahaz, during one of his trips to the other capital of this other nation, sees that they're worshiping different gods and he so chooses to have idols made to those gods brought into the temple in Jerusalem and desecrates the temple forces the temple priests to offer sacrifice every day to those false gods hear this Ahaz is a picture of a man made in the image of God of the chosen people of God he is a true Jew and an Israeli and he chose to not allow God to work in his life and the devolution of his life it is a warning to all of us Ahaz ruled for 16 years, and when he was buried, he was not even buried with the other kings of Judah. He is considered to be one of the most wicked kings the nation had ever known. And it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be this way. God had come to intervene for him. God had come to show him that he has this, and Ahaz said no. Eventually, that northern kingdom of Israel, the, the, the northern people that were fighting against Judah, they were eventually conquered by a nation and carried into captivity into a far away land. Many years later, the southern kingdom of Judah fell as well, and those people too were carried away into another nation and lived in exile for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you can almost picture in their mind as they lay down at night to go to bed in exile in this other nation, longing for the promises of God, longing to get back to the promised land, longing to live a life where God is active in their everyday life. They can hear the, the echoed refrain of Isaiah the prophet telling them that God will give you a sign, that one day a virgin will give birth to a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel. You can almost picture them aching and longing for that. Would you close your eyes and picture with me too that I think that that is what you and I need to picture as well. That we need to, to ache and to long for this sign from God that we know that God is paying attention to our lives, yes? That we need to know that God, that his strength is enough for us and his love is enough for us. That we too want to embrace the sign from God himself, yes? Yes.
in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not do not be afraid do not run from this do not push God back in this. God has come to do something. The angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all of the people. Raise your hand if you're all the people. Yes, we are all the people. There has been good news of great joy and there is no reason to fear. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It is so easy in our world today to stand from an informed position, believing that the world is constantly getting worse, that life can never change. What's this world coming to, we say? But the Bible would have us say something else. Instead, we might offer what's come in to this world. See, in the midst of red kettles and wrapping paper and green bean casserole, say amen. (laughs) This Christmas season, we no longer are despondent or filled with fear because God has come in to the world. The promise is that he would be with us in his son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for our time together. Merry Christmas to us, God. We receive the gift that is your son, Jesus. Thank you for making it ever apparent to us. A miracle of sorts as a virgin conceives and gives birth to a son. God, may we stand in this place now ever more mindful of our need of you, that we no longer run in fear when things get difficult. We no longer run in fix-it mode, to take control of all situations, but to settle ourselves into the sovereign care and love of you, God. May we be people who need you. May we be people who want you. And may we be people who worship you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.